The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Robert Hand, CCIM, the president of Louisiana Commercial Realty, a New Orleans-based firm that operates in all major commercial sectors. He joins the podcast to discuss the state of CRE in the Louisiana market, which has undergone significant changes due to national economic trends and natural disasters. Hand also details the importance of technology in distinguishing yourself from the competition and how to illustrate your expertise to both existing and potential clients. Robert, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, and you're based in, in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana area, which has seen its share of difficulties in the past few decades, obviously, from natural disasters to broader economic troubles across the country. What is the state of the region's commercial real estate market, you know, early in, in 2023? Well, right, we're in a state of flux right now. You know, the benchmark for most people here is Katrina, which happened in 2005. Right now, the hotel and the restaurant market is still vibrant. We've got the best restaurants in the nation, and we still have a lot of tourists come in. But, you know, we we haven't always been that way. Uh, we've been evolving really since the 1970s. Back in the 60s and 70s, the oil industry was really a, an economic driver. There were, there were lots of drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And New Orleans was a beneficiary of that. We had uh, some really high-rise, really nice high-rise office buildings uh, constructed in the 70s and actually in the early 80s, even though interest rates were, you know, 15%. So the the jobs in the oil industry caused the, the office market to really grow rapidly. But since the early 80s, we haven't had any. You know, our, our biggest office building was One Shell Square, and it's a good bit vacant now. So that, that transition in the 70s and the 80s helped the office market. It helped the industrial market. All the small towns around the Gulf of Mexico were putting up warehouses to service the oil industry. And then in the 80s, uh, New Orleans downsized, Houston upsized. There was a real transition to kind of regionalize the oil industry. We swapped $150,000 petroleum engineers for $35,000 waiters and waitresses. You know, we went we went back to a tourism market. So we, we've had that shift, you know, and so Katrina coming in was kind of a just a bump in the road. We lost 40% of the population, about 20% came back. During all of this, we've had a uh, an exodus of people out of the city of New Orleans to outlying cities, Covington and Mandeville on the north of Lake Pontchartrain. So now we, we're stuck with high vacancy rates in these office buildings. The smart thing the city leaders did in New Orleans was to build a convention center back in the 80s 
when this oil industry left, we were able to really bring in conventions. So despite COVID, we still have a vibrant hotel and restaurant market. And, and we have a good workforce for tourism. So we've had several ebbs and flows, and we're, we're used to change and adapting to that change uh, over the last 50 years. Probably before COVID, but, but since COVID, industrial's kind of been the darling of, of commercial real estate. Has there been an influx of investment in industrial properties, you know, with New Orleans being, you know, a major port and kind of a logistical center in the region? Somewhat. When I first got in the business, I was looking for a 100,000 square foot warehouse, and there was only one in the city. And I was talking to some people at a CCIM meeting in Houston. They said, you know, we don't do anything unless it's under 500,000 square feet. So, you know, that kind of tells you the market that we're in. And I think, you know, we're not a big city, even though we have a million population in the statistical area. But industrial has, on the outskirts of New Orleans, has seen some some speculative investments. There's a 100,000 square foot building being built in Gonzales, which is in between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. The problem with New Orleans is we're 300 years old. There is no five acre plot to put a warehouse on. Every, everything has been built on. We have the Mississippi River to the south. We have Lake Pontchartrain to the north. So uh, industrial has focused on some of the outlying areas and, and even into some of the areas in Mississippi. So it hasn't really been a, a, a big economic driver. It's been here and there in the outlying areas. In your professional history, you've handled deals, you know, across all the major sectors of commercial real estate. You know, in your business, what's key to staying flexible and agile enough to, you know, to be active in industrial, in retail, in multifamily and so on? Well, that's that's the key, and it depends on the market that you're in. You know, where we realize we're not Houston, we're not Dallas. Do some business in Mississippi and helping lease vacant space in the medical industry. I think the secret, if you're in a market where there's less than a million population, is to work in in different areas and not specialize so much. But you still have to be an expert in each market, whether it's industrial or retail or multifamily. You know, you have to. Also be creative. You have to know what your clients want and you, you have to maybe think outside the box. And I, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, we did one of the largest office leases a while back, but the tenant wasn't an office user. They were a hotel. We figured out how to take three floors of vacant space where an oil company was paying $250,000 a year on space they weren't even using because they had downsized and moved to Houston. So we, we took the vacant space and figured out how to turn it into a, a Hyatt hotel. One of my competitors, SRSA in New Orleans, uh, took a shopping center that was kind of stodgy and had fallen by the wayside, but was in a great area, had a large vacant Sears store. They turned that into a hospital and that ended up being a $50 million investment. So those are a couple of examples that we're seeing not only in, in our market, but across the nation where brokers are, are being creative of, about helping their clients solve their real estate problems. Yeah. And, and you know, adaptive reuse is obviously has been a hot topic uh, for years. But after COVID, we're seeing the different sectors kind of shake out and, you know, office demand is down, industrial is kind of up. Being active across different major sectors, does that allow you or help you be creative in finding, you know, solutions that involve adaptive reuse? It does. The problem that in doing that, though, is a lot of the owners of the properties aren't creative like that. They 
they tend to be focused on staying in their lane. That's where the CCIM training can come in handy, where we could help property owners analyze these in a, in a logical way and make smarter real estate decisions. Your firm places an emphasis on using new technology and using data to gain a competitive edge. How important is it for your business to stay on that cutting edge of, of technology to remain as competitive as you can be? Well, that's that's what we are. Uh, we decided a long time ago that uh, using technology was going to be our competitive advantage. You know, there are lots of real estate agents out there in, in our market. Half of the listings are by residential agents. They don't have that kind of training that a CCIM does. We have to be able to explain to clients how we're different. What do you do differently? You know, you've got three residential agents and three commercial agents competing for a listing. Uh, so we go to them and we say, look, you know, we use the latest technology. I guess the best way to explain it is we could tell a property owner who is asking us to possibly list the property. We can tell them that we can give information to their tenants or their buyers that will help their business be successful. So we can bring in more qualified tenants. We're a little more aggressive. We do a little bit more advertising than most. So we try to shorten up the time period, but we're still we're still facing the average time to lease or to, to find a buyer for uh, any kind of commercial property is six to 12 months. So we try to shorten up that time period by using some of the tools that site to do business has. I'll give you an example. We had an office property that came on the market. We had sold it several years ago, so they came back to us. Uh, an attorney sold it and had vacated the office space. So we were able to go to the data view in site to do business and pull up a list of attorneys in the entire state of Louisiana, we called out the ones that were the right size, the right number of employees, and we called out just the email. So we emailed a flyer to targeted attorneys and told them, hey, this attorney had just sold the building. We have this vacant space. That's a pretty smart way of doing business. And all that is available in site to do business. So that's what we use. Before our chat today, you shared a breakdown of a deal that you handled in New Orleans. You know, how much did site to do business and the technology help you in that transaction and gain new insights for both yourself and your clients? The latest listing that we got was a vacant family dollar store in a real poor section of town, New Orleans East. It has the lowest income. Average income is 16000 a year per capita. But Within a five-minute drive time, there's 30,000 people living there. So, you know, family dollar, dollar general is, is, is a, a good market for them. Uh, we weren't the first listing agent, but what we did was make a presentation. We call it a marketing plan. We go to the owner of the property and we say, look, here's how we're going to market the property. Here's where we think we will find buyers. And here's what we're going to do in advertising it and in marketing it. So it's a strategic plan. Um, so we say, look, if you like our plan, just hire us. And, and they're hiring us to execute the plan. You know, we're, we're not getting a listing and then trying to think of who should be the best tenant. We, we've already figured it out ahead of time. So I think we come to potential clients with a higher level of expertise 
And it's only because of the, the CCIM tools. For instance, in, the, in this listing, we looked at the drive times and we explained to them, we don't use three, five and 10 mile radius because we've got a lake on one side of New Orleans and a river on the other. We have to use drive times. So that's where we found out there's 30,000 people within a five minute drive time. And we looked at the uh, retail marketplace information that's inside to do business. We found out that within this drive time, even though it's a poor population and with a, a lot of unemployment, there's still $20 million spent on food. And the site to do business marketplace was able to tell us, hey, they're only spending $14 million in this area. So that's $6 million that's spent outside the area on food. So we went to the grocers and we gave them this information. So we are able to tell, even before we get the listing, hey, here's how we can find the right tenant for a vacant family dollar store. We can go to a mid-sized grocer and show them this information. We were astonished. There's three and a half million spent on jewelry in a 30,000 count population with high unemployment and 16,000 a year average income. They spend three and a half million on jewelry and there's no jewelry store in the area. There's five and a half million spent on sporting goods. There's a Walmart, but there's no sporting goods store in the area. So we're able to, to take this information from site to do business and say, look, we're going to target the sporting goods, the jewelry industry, and the grocery industry, and that's how we're going to get a tenant because we can show them that people are spending the money. They're not spending it here. So if you put your store here, you have a, a higher success ratio. We've already proven that it's more feasible from the data that we get from the, the uh, marketplace reports. It seems almost to simplify the relationship between you and a potential client where you're showing them, you know, what is out there. And then that's kind of your plan of action, your, what, what you intend to do, which I think probably puts the client at ease. It allows the client to look at us at a more sophisticated level. And that's what we like. If you're competing against residential agents and other commercial agents and they're not using this and a client sees this, they really have, a, a I think, a better impression of you. And that's that's what you want from CCIA. You know, you want you want clients to see you as an expert before they even meet you. So that CCM designation can do that for you. And you know, the big picture is this data that this site to do business has. Walmart has that. Target, Amazon, they all use it. But you know, mom and mom and pop businesses in a small market like New Orleans, they don't have it. I've worked with developers that will build 30, 40 million dollar apartments. They don't have this information. They they just go by their gut instinct that this would be a good location. So, you know, it really helps in retail, I think, because uh, you're looking at where people near this location, how they spend their money. You can even get into lifestyle demographics, which I think is real smart. And you can show businesses where they need to spend their advertising by what magazines people read, how they get their news information, uh, we, you know, within a, a, a five and 10 minute drive time. You know, all, all that data, I think, is helpful to tenants. And if you can show property owners that you can show this to tenants, it, it really puts you on a different, uh, on a higher plane, I think, uh, versus uh, people that don't use this kind of information. So what, what we're doing is we're bringing this 
technology to people that wouldn't normally have it. So they can make the smart real estate decisions just like Walmart and Amazon. You know, on top of becoming an expert in the field, you've worked in, in, a, in a broad scope of property sectors and obviously you have a long, successful resume in the industry. What would your advice be to other commercial real estate professionals, you know, looking to grow their business in 2023? Well, I think, first of all, you have to be a, an expert. If a client thinks, you know, a property is worth $2 million and, and you're looking at what else is available in the market and, you know, your comps and your gut instinct says it's only worth a million. You have to be able to look them in the eye and say, look, I cannot take this listing for $2 million. It, it There is only a market for a price of around a million. Now, we'll do the best that we can. But for new people coming in and the other commercial pros, I, I think you have to really put effort into being an expert at that particular property and knowing what the highest and best use of that property is. So you have to do your homework and you have to use all the resources you can ahead of time, you know, before you even get started on it. You have to be able to, to have the confidence that you're an expert in that industry. On a personal note, I was reading your bio before our conversation. It mentioned that you had a gig selling dictionaries door to door to pay your way through college. What lessons did you learn back then that you still use today? Well, I was I was working during the summer and a friend of mine worked for Southwestern Company and said, hey, you can come and sell dictionaries door to door. And he made a lot of money and I figured I could do it, too. You know, when I got started in it, a couple of my friends went and we competed against each other. And we all wanted that one award in book selling that was for working 100 hours a week. So, you know, we were all working at least 80, but we tried to get 100 hours in. I got the award, but after a week, I said, you know, I really would like to try to work smarter. So I, I was I started using referrals. So I'd knock on somebody's door and I would say, you know, here, give them an introduction. But I, then I would quickly shift to, do you know the Smiths across the street? And they, they would always say, yeah, we know them, but... We don't really see them too much. Well, how about the Thomases down on the corner or the and the Joneses next door? Well, the Joneses bought the book on the new math. The Smith bought the full dictionary set. And the Thomases, you know, they, they have their son, Nicky. Uh, he bought the educational set. Um, so after, after I would go through people that they knew, they would realize that, hey, if they don't buy from me, they're missing out. So you can do the same thing in the real estate business. You can target industries. Uh, we use LinkedIn a lot where you can connect with people in the same industry. I think what that taught me is that you have to work smarter. That kind of leads into what our mission statement is today, where we use technology and and the technology that we get comes from CCIM and Site to Do Business. It sounds like it was a, a bit of a, a sales boot camp before you really got started in, in commercial real estate. Currently, you know, you've remained involved with CCM Institute and other professional organizations. What motivates you to stay connected to your local and, and national business communities? In a small town like like New Orleans, um, I, I think it's really about relationships. There are lots of nonprofits that are always asking for help. Um, and you only have so much time. But I do try to stay visible in the business community. Uh, because it's about relationships. One thing that my dad always says was that, you know, you always have to tell people what you do, what you do for a living. So being in, involved in CCIM and and having that conversation with them tells my clients that I work to be the best. You know, it took me three years to get my CCIM license. So I, I tell them, you know, this is the 
top echelon of commercial property. Uh, a lot of them haven't heard of it. So I always take time to explain what it is and more importantly, what me having a CCIM can do for them. CCIM prides itself on its education, but the networking opportunities and being part of the community is certainly a benefit that we like to hang our hat on. Yeah, the, I find the commercial real estate industry is a, it's a small family, and, but I always enjoy, uh, you know, being a commercial agent, you know, when I am working with somebody on the other side of the deal that is professional and, and has a CCIM license. And you always have a lot of respect for people that are professional in what they do. Yeah, I think that's that's a great place to wrap up is that, you know, we, we spoke about technology and technology certainly can be be a help in commercial real estate. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it still comes down to relationships and, you know, building those relationships with others. Well, great, Robert. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your insights today. And, and thanks for joining Commercial Real Estate Investment Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.